0: At Grace Church. All right, if you would turn to First Peter and let us continue in our series. And if you would, let us look at Chapter Three and I'm going to imitate my good friend, Chris Mays. Chris, thank you, by the way, for preaching last week. Great job, and we are grateful for all your labor that you put in. You have no idea how relieved he is. (laughs) He has lost his voice this week. Um, I think he's just got worn out preparing. (laughs) Would you stand as we read God's word? And as I read, please try to go past my voice and listen to the voice of God. Verse 1 Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. And you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Lord, that is your word. And that is your voice speaking to us. Oh Lord, allow our hearts to be attentive to your voice this morning and may these truths that you are speaking touch each person here husband and wife and lord may your name be glorified as we talk about these holy words in christ's name amen you may be seated. In Nancy DeMoss' Welcome with Book Adorned, she begins her chapter on submission describing the following encounter. I hate this book. Next in line at the book table, she darted at me waving her copy of my book, Lies Women Believe. I wasn't sure if she wanted me to sign it or if she wanted to throw it at me. Uh, Okay, well, I, I stammered. Tell me what you don't like about it. It's that thing about submission, she said, going on to declare that she'd never even heard of this notion before and that she certainly couldn't buy into it. Submission? What in the world? Our conversation didn't last long. Others were waiting, and believe it or not, standing in the same line was another woman who said essentially the same thing. Of course, they weren't the first or last readers to feel this way. But what surprised me about these exchanges was that they took place at an event for women ministry leaders and Bible study teachers hosted by a respected evangelical seminary. Bring up the subject in most settings even among some in the church, and you can expect to have people look at you as if you were from another planet. The tragic reality of domestic abuse makes the whole idea of submission even more objectionable to many. In fact, it is often asserted that the church's teaching of submission in marriage actually promotes and fosters abuse of women. Those who take this biblical concept seriously are often ridiculed as unenlightened at best misogynist women haters at worst. She goes on to give her view of biblical submission. She writes, for a wife, submission means accepting God's good order for her life. Just as a husband submits himself to God and accepting God's order for his life. And it gives her the privilege of representing the mystery and beauty of the Son's submission to the Father. For even within the Trinity, we see this paradoxical arrangement. Seamless unity with separate roles and different identities. Perfect equality with pure submission. The Father and the Son, we know, are both equally God. And yet, the Son chooses to submit Himself to the will of the Father. The submission of Christian wives to their husbands is a powerful and beautiful picture of the son's submission to his father and the church's submission to Christ. These wives, together with husbands who love them selflessly and sacrificially, put the gospel story on vivid and compelling display. Some dismiss the New Testament teaching on submission in marriage as being culturally bound and irrelevant for today's readers, simply an acknowledgement of the cultural norm of the day. These writers, they say, were simply giving women advice on how to live a righteous and holy life within that now outdated cultural system. Let's face it. Our independence is challenged in these verses. Most of us, if not all of us, have grown up in a culture and a country that idolizes freedom and independence. And submission is not in our DNA. Self-rule is. The idea that we can control and should control our own lives. The very idea that started the whole mess in the Garden of Eden. The desire for self-rule, as we see in Genesis, distorted God's good created order, wanting to be like God. Adam and Eve missed the reality that they were already like God, having been created in his image. Now the gospel's intention is to restore God's good created order that we might experience god's good blessing and from god's perspective there is a there is a beauty there is an eternal beauty that is revealed when both men and women delight in his good created order and as we see in daily life and more importantly in scripture the principle of submission applies to all of us in one way or another we all we all live in submission. We all experience having to submit whether it's parents and children, employers and employees, church leaders and church members and of course husbands and wives. Now this is this is a longer introduction this morning, but it is a necessary extension of the introduction Biblical submission is a gracious gift from God, anchored in his good created order. Submission existed before creation began. Submission existed before creation began. And it is not as well a result of the fall. In the garden, God established the institution of marriage and the specific rules for for husbands and wives. Submission of a wife didn't begin in some patriarchal, dominated culture where women were inferior and treated as such, but they they were in God's good created order given role, a role that is intended to glorify God and express with the husband Christ's love for the church. Now, like the rest of creation, <clears throat> husband and wife are to exhibit God's glory. To live sacrificial lives as devon read in romans 12 and to worship him and praise him as he rightly deserves and genesis 1 and 2 unpacks this this incredible and this beautiful and this challenging idea of husbands and wives and the roles they play in god's good created order both Peter and Paul, writing under the inspiration of, whole, of the Holy Spirit, specifically set forth this divine order of, of headship and submission as, as being timeless, as, as a husband and wife. Their relationship is patterned after God and His relationship with His Son. Listen, if... if if you struggle if you reject <clears throat> excuse me if you reject this passage of wives being subject to your own husbands you are rejecting the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 peter peter is looking back to the most incredible moment in history when God created the heavens and the earth, when God created all that we see, when God created the animals, when God created man and woman. And at the end of that creation, he looks at it and he says, it is very Good, and if you you look at this passage here, and you you reject this passage, or you say, ah, well, no, 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 we need to modernize this passage. We need to we need to bring this passage, <clears throat> excuse me, into the twenty first century, because when Peter wrote this, it was culturally that was what was going on. Time we need to change this. No, no, no. Oh no, because. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Word of God is, is the same. And so both Peter and Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter in this passage, he, he details a, a wife's relationship to her husband and as we will see next week, his loving leadership in their relationship. In fact, it's, it's the only relationship on earth that displays the beauty of the relationship of Christ and His church. This is what God has created. Now, who, who knows better how, how life should function than the Creator and the Designer of all things? Not only are God's ways true and, and right, they're beautiful and good. God, God delights in you. He delights in His creation. He loves His creation. Those, those of, he fashioned you by His own hand. He, he gave you the breath of life. and He desires for all of us to delight in Him and experience all all of his good blessings are our, our good and wise God. He never asks us to do anything that would harm us. Everything he asks of us is for our ultimate benefit. If we abandon or we reject the plan that he has set into place for us, we do it to our own harm. <laughs> Biblical submission is a gracious gift from the Lord it is a good thing it is a beautiful thing as we see here in 1st peter and now the main the main theme of 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 Peter's letter is, is how believers can joyfully maintain their faith and hope when suffering for their faith in Christ. The theme of suffering runs through chapter 1 and, and through chapter 2, and then again we see it in 4 and 5, and yet smack in the middle is this section on submission at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. We see in, in the... Towards the end of chapter 2, being subject to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, for this is the will of God. Uh, servants, being subject to your masters or employees to your employers. And then he gives this example. He, he lays out this example of, okay, why, why do you submit? What, what gives you the motivation to, to be submissive in the areas where God has put people in authority in your life. And he goes on in 21, verse 21. For to this you have been called, this submission, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And this is how he explains Christ's submission he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued in trusting himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christ died for your sins. He submitted His will to the Father's will by going to the cross. By He who committed no sin bearing your sin upon the tree at the cross and so peter peter lays out this example he says you have trouble submitting to to the government you have trouble submitting to an employer oh look look at what christ has done look what he submitted to and then he goes on to say okay okay let's let's go even dig dig deeper not just civil government not just employers but hey let's Talk about the home. He goes on to say, wives, submit to your husbands. Just as Christ submitted to his Father's will. Likewise, Peter begins in verse 1 of chapter 3. And Peter's biblical view of submission does not mean inferior. It does not mean forced compliance. It does not mean slavish groveling or subservience. It it does not mean husbands having supreme authority. God has supreme authority. It does not mean the husband is always right. And what man doesn't already know that? It doesn't mean following your husband into sin. In fact, just the opposite. It never... Ever means allowing your husband to abuse you. There's no reason ever. There's no justification. There's no rationalization for a husband to ever physically harm his wife or to verbally abuse his wife with demeaning comments, sarcastic digs, public shaming, any behavior that treats his wife, that does not treat his wife with dignity and honor and gentleness and the respect she deserves. As a co equal image bearer, of God, as a joint heir of Christ. Submission under Christ's lordship is radically different. Biblical submission and and biblical leadership, which we will talk about next week when we talk about husbands in verse 7, are activities that allow a marriage to display the glory of Christ and the love of Christ for his church. For you, marriages in this church allow this church to display the love of Christ. So the main idea is this. Here's the question. And this is a question that actually fits for both this week and next week. What must husbands and wives do to display the gospel in their home? That's what Peter is after here. And today we're going to look at the role of the wife. Next week we'll look at the role of the husband. So what is God's word telling us this morning in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6? Simply this, a submissive wife, biblically And theologically defined, does the following three things. The first thing is she trusts God's purpose and goodness in his created order. She trusts God's purposes and goodness. In his created order. Verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word. They may be one without a word. By the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful. That word would be reverence. in, in the, Literally in the Greek. And pure conduct. Listen, at the time of Peter's letter. When he wrote this letter. A wife was required in in that culture, in the Greco-Roman culture, was required to adopt her husband's religion. That was her responsibility. When the gospel came to Asia Minor, it it seems many women came to faith in Christ, but, but many husbands did not. And so these Christian women could no longer worship their husband's pagan gods imagine the tension caused by this turn of events imagine the the ridicule that their husbands would receive because how could they dare allow their wives to worship another God than the God that he had chosen to worship in his home. And so by rejecting their husband's God, it, it would ridicule him publicly and it would, it would question his, his manhood and his, his leadership. And as a result of that, many wives were badly mistreated because of their faith in Christ. They suffered for following after Christ. So how does Peter counsel them? What does Peter tell them? Leave. Go find another husband. Produce thousands of tracts and leave them around the house. How does Peter counsel them? He says, without compromising your faith, be a submissive wife. And then he he gives this counsel. Be subject to your own husbands. That's that's the first thing he says. Be subject, be submissive to your own husbands. And then he says this. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. There There is a play on words there. How do you want to win your husband who is not obeying the word? Don't use words. <laughs> Don't incessantly badger him with the gospel. Don't leave your Bible open at the kitchen table all the time. Don't leave tracks around the house. Don't be telling him. But, she, he goes on to say, this wife... You will. You can win your husband without a word by your conduct when they see your reverence. Now, that word reverence, that word respectful, that word reverence there, or, or fear of the Lord. Anytime Peter uses the word fear in his letter, he is talking about the fear of God. He is not talking about fearing or, or reverence towards her husband. And he's, he's communicating, look, your reverence to God. Your relationship with the Lord, your your godliness, your conduct, your your submission to God is going to be seen by your husband. You won't have to say a word. Husbands who, who disobey the word, they'll be saved without a word. Your submission. Very well could be the means of grace that leads them to faith in Christ, not not by what you say, but by what you do, without a word, by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, it it, it might be easy to think, okay, okay, yeah, he's talking about submission to a husband who's an unbeliever. I'm a Christian. Wife with a Christian husband. I'm free from that. No, no, no. Let's, let's read the verse again. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey. He's talking to both. He's saying whether your husband's a believer or an unbeliever, he's talking to both Peter, now Peter was not requiring them to submit to their husband's religion. In fact, just the opposite, as you, you see later on in verse, in verse 2 of chapter 3 and verse 6 of chapter 3. They were not to fear anyone. They were not to fear their husbands, but only the Lord. But having an attitude of submission first to the Lord and then to their husbands, could very well have this amazing effect upon their husbands. Peter, Peter tells wives, listen, when you submit even to an unbelieving husband, they're, they're, your behavior your behavior will silently but eloquently display the gospel. He may not listen to what you believe, but very well could come to faith by how you behave. In his book, Confessions of St. Augustine, Augustine gives this moving tribute to his mother, who for most of her marriage lived with an unbelieving husband. Her, Her influence brought her husband to faith in Christ. And he describes his mother's role in his book with these words. He says this, he said, She served her husband as her master and did all she could to win him for you speaking to him of you by her conduct by which you made her beautiful finally when her husband was at the end of his earthly span she gained him for you Augustine's mom saw 1 Peter 2:12 come to life as she faithfully fulfilled three, one through six. 2:12, Peter writes, "Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." She served her husband, he writes, as her master. She gained him for the Lord. Now, the force force of these first two verses in chapter 3 cannot be lost in us. Some husbands will enter heaven giving glory to God on the day of his final visitation, owing their salvation to the very honorable, good, holy conduct of their wives. Who in suffering for their faith with husbands who did not follow the Lord who did not obey the word the gospel who who mistreated them these these wives remained submissive to their husbands that they might win them for Christ now how much more should wives of believing husbands entrust themselves to God's care. And that's that's what these women did. They entrusted themselves to God's care. They entrusted themselves. They did not fear being mistreated by their husbands even when they were, they did not fear what the outcome was because they, they were fearing God. They were trusting God. So how much more as a, as a believing wife with a believing husband can you entrust your care to God? Peter does not minimize the trials and sufferings that these wives experience in difficult marriage, but he, he does not want them to wrongly focus on ultimately who they are living for. So he says, have reverence towards the Lord. As we see throughout 1 Peter, have reverence towards the Lord. And your husband will see that. She trusts God's purposes and goodness in his created order. She doesn't argue with, God, what, what, what? This this is, this is bad stuff. This is from a patriarchal time. No, 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 no. She trusts God's word. Secondly, she joyfully pursues God's view of true beauty. Verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Submission in all three of Peter's examples civil government, employers, wives to husbands exhorts believers to present themselves before a watching world as those who are following in Jesus' steps. Verse 21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. By by doing so, we present to the world, which is what we are living for. We are living to bring glory to God by our lives and to be an example to a dying world that needs to see Christ, that needs to hear the gospel, that needs to see an expression of the love of Christ in the way we live with one another. That's what the church exists for. And Peter writes, this is how you do it. And the most basic place that happens is between husband and wife. Peter's words are are, and his desires that all all of us all would be applied by Christian wives, not just those who are married to unbelieving husbands. Says that your. You have a living hope. And your conduct as a Christian wife says something about you. And, and it's an adornment that, that speaks of, of what God is doing in you. And it's, it's not. And, and here, Peter talks about adornment in a way that what it is and, and what it isn't. Listen, in the, in the, in the Greco-Roman world, verse, verse 3, he tells us, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or, or clothing you wear. The, the pressure in the Greco-Roman culture was immense for women at that time to adorn themselves externally. And many husbands demanded that. Like, and like all cultures, there was significant peer pressure to conform. And, and it's, it's no different today. It's no different Today, the the pressure to pursue external beauty drives many women in particular to despair because they never feel as though they have just the right clothing. They never look good enough. They never feel pretty enough. They're always comparing themselves to others. and, And Peter's desire is, oh, be free from that bondage. Be free. And so he paints this completely different picture of what beauty is in the eyes of God. He doesn't want a woman's primary motivation to be a desire for external beauty, but an inner beauty fashioned by God. But, he, but listen, he's some, some have actually taken this when he says, you know, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Some have... Are literalists they say okay no no braiding of hair no gold jewelry or no clothing <laughs> now he is not he's not i don't know if you've heard of amelia bedelia anybody hear of amelia bedelia yeah the children's book character who takes everything in life so literally she makes a sponge cake with real sponges and, and that's what, not, Peter's not doing that here. He's, he's not advocating for frumpy wives. He's not, he's not advocating for how plain can you possibly be. When you, when you walk into a room, we want nobody to notice you. In fact, we don't even want your husbands to notice you. Just, just be plain. That is not what Peter is advocating here. And he's not a moralist. He's not, don't wear anything that is fashionable. He's not saying this is what women should strive for. We Listen, we live in a world where appearance is important. Sadly for many, it's the most important thing in their lives. Rather, Peter's saying, listen, don't be taken in by the worldly value that is being being pushed on you here because in God's kingdom, there's something far more significant and last a lasting beauty, a beauty that endures beyond our aging bodies. How many of you look exactly the same way you did last year? <laughs> you did not. You're taller. <laughs> <laughs> ah! How many want to look the same way they did last year? Some yes, some no. How many are always trying to make sure your appearance is just right? I mean, When you walk by a mirror, do you walk by a mirror or do you stop by a mirror? Yeah. Listen, when I, when I was 42 years old, I went to visit with one of the other pastors, I went to visit a woman in our church who had just had her first baby. And we walked into the hospital room and the nurse was there and she looked at me, not my buddy who is the same age as me, she looked at me and she said, she said, you must be such a proud grandfather. I'm forty-two years old. And I'm not a proud grandfather. And I and I went home and, and I and I looked in the mirror and I thought, wow. <laughs> I was I was at this and this this was just maybe a year before a year I was at this concert that my daughter Jenny was singing in and it was it was a big stage and, and we were down on the front row and somebody was videoing and and, and I'm I saw the video afterwards, and I'm looking there, and I'm thinking, who's the guy in the front row who's lost all his hair up there? And I realized, it's me! (laughs) How often do I look in the mirror like this? I don't, I didn't know. Marilyn never told me. I was (laughs) aging. (laughs) Brothers and sisters... True beauty, Peter says, is something that is not seen outwardly first, but begins inwardly with a, with a woman's reverence for God that, that cultivates a gentle and quiet spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit. Listen, a gentle and quiet spirit is not a feminine temperament. It is not feminine personality. Guys, we can have gentle and quiet spirits as well. We see that in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, where Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. I am meek and humble. Qualities all Christians are to have as they walk in his steps. And rather than pursuing this, this anti-aging lifestyle... Exercise, vitamins, essential oils, never eating chocolate, whatever, all that stuff. No, no, no. He says, look, yeah, take care of yourself. Good, happy for you. Um, give me your chocolate if you don't want it. Just, but, but see true beauty, not on the way you look outwardly. Because sadly, guess what? When you're, if you're here next year, you ain't going to look the same. And if you are here next year, I'm going to point out some of your wrinkles. (laughs) Just to remind you that beauty is inward. As Carolyn Mahaney and Nicole Whitaker state in their book, True Beauty, they say this, a gentle and quiet spirit is not a personality trait. It is the quality of a woman who meets adversity, slander, sickness, rejection, and loss with a calm confidence in God. A gentle woman is a woman of remarkable strength and tenacity because she does not attack back when someone sins against her. Rather, she waits on God, knowing that God is just. She can suffer without bitterness. That is inner beauty. And that is not a shrinking violet. That's not a wallflower. That's not a weak, subservient woman. That's a woman who has strength in God. does not fear following the biblical truth of the roles God has designed for marriage. And in verse 4, Peter makes two stunning statements when he says, okay, here's what beauty is not, but let me tell you what beauty is. And in verse 4 he says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Now that hidden person doesn't stay hidden. I mean, Peter's already made it clear. Hey, it's your outward behavior that's going to lead, could very well lead your husband to Christ. It's your outward behavior that shows what true adornment is, your reverence for God. That's that inward beauty coming out. But he goes on and he says in verse four, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, imperishable beauty. There you go. Okay. Okay. Imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit is is so powerful. Because listen, he says, listen, he's making it clear. Imperishable beauty is is in contrast to something else, beauty that fades, beauty that fades. The imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit can be so powerful, it can be seen by even the hardest heart, the hard heart of a husband who disobeys the gospel. That imperishable beauty, a beauty that never fades. You want real beauty? Oh, This inward hidden beauty, that's real beauty. This is what God prizes in every woman. Brothers, this is what we should be prizing in our wives. Do you prize that in your wife? And we'll talk about that next week. Secondly, Peter says a wife's submission to her husband is this. And this, I find this amazing for God to say this. A gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Here's God's commentary on your inward beauty. The the hidden inward beauty that expresses itself in holy conduct, in pure conduct. God says, this is very precious in my sight. It means God is watching you. He is seeing you. He is examining you. He is evaluating you. And he is saying, well done. Oh, you are so precious, very precious in my sight. Now, what other things in 1 Peter, does Peter say, are precious in God's sight? Well, in verse 7, we see that our faith is more precious than gold in God's sight. We see in 19 you shall be holy for I... Ho-, I'm sorry. um says knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. So so he says, listen, here's what's precious. Your faith is precious. Here's what's also precious, the blood of Christ that saves you. And then he goes on to say, what else is precious? His own son, Jesus, in in verse 4. and your gentle and quiet spirit. Brothers and sisters, God, God delights. God delights in his children. God delights in those he has called to himself. God delights in particularly God delights in you, wives, he delights in you, ladies, he delights in you and he finds that when you are, when you are faithful to revere him, faithful in your conduct, faithful in your pursuit of him, he says, look, that's all very precious in my sight. My son is precious, his blood is precious, your faith is precious and your your conduct is precious. And thirdly, a submissive wife, biblically defined, she courageously fears nothing but finds hope in God alone. Verses 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God. So here's this, this example. Listen, these are he's going back to the Old Testament. He's talking about he's using one example, but he's got a number of women in mind. He's saying these holy women. He's calling them holy women who, and here's what they did. They hoped in God. They hoped in God because they've been saved by God. They hoped in God because they have been changed and transformed by God. They hope in God because they know God. They see God because of what Christ has done for them. They hoped in God. Now, now, these are women who, who had not yet known the name of Christ, but they saw the living God. And he goes on to say... Verse 5, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. And so now he's going back, he said, by submitting to their own husbands. Again, there's that word own. In verse 1, it was submit to your own husbands. Here, they submitted to their own husbands. They They weren't required to submit to every husband, every man, but to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham... Oh and here here's you want to you want to you want to stir some fire up quote this verse right here as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him lord she did what in in fact the NASB I think it says master now you got to do go back to the day of of this writing, the cultural time. And it was a sign of respect. And, and you see there, Lord is not capital L. It is not, it's not, she's not looking at him as a God. She's just, it's respect for her husband. So Peter illustrates with the Old Testament example of a godly submissive wife, Sarah, with her husband, Abraham. David Helm says this in his commentary. He says, Sarah is the perfect choice. When Christian women hear preachers call upon them to put on a gentle and quiet spirit, the culture will bombard their minds in an effort to convince them that God's word is asking them to be weak. Our culture is constantly trying to make women think that applying this principle will in the end be a setback to women everywhere. But Peter says, no, 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 look at Sarah. Sarah was a woman who got into her husband's face a time or two. (laughs) Ladies, you agree with that? <laughs> and he needed it at a time or three. Why does Peter draw our attention to Sarah? It's because she lived out God's principle of submission by calling Abraham Lord. Now the, the Genesis 18, 9 through 14 is the story where, where the, the angels of God visit Abraham and say, okay, you know, this time next year your wife is going to be pregnant. She's hiding around the corner listening and she's like, no way. No way. And she laughs and and she she really expresses unbelief at that moment. And and what what she she does though is she trusts her husband. He's he's what, ninety-nine years old? She's she, I mean, they are done with having kids, at least in the natural sense. And I can imagine Abraham saying, Come on, dear, let's let's have some time together and she goes nah you're too old no 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 and no 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 she trusts her husband she trusts the lord and sure enough what what is impossible for man is possible with god and she and 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 peter uses that example as saying as an example of a wife who was trusting and respecting and submitting to her husband sarah is no shrinking violet with respect to abraham she could hold her own with him and you you see that in genesis she she wasn't weak she was real she's portrayed as a woman who has faith she's described as physically beautiful when she was young she struggled with unbelief and yet peter holds her up in his example of a godly woman Peter is telling every woman here, you can hope in God because you have been born again to a living hope. You are precious in God's sight because of the precious blood of Christ shed on the cross for you. Sin has distorted and ruined God's good created order, but the gospel has restored has restored what, what our sin has attempted to destroy. Jesus' suffering and death at the hands of those who reject His ways and His eternal life. He paid the price for that sin. His death and resurrection made us new creations, those who can now return to God's good design, who can now submit under His good created order. and we can live in the blessing of that. Listen, this passage, it's only six verses. And, and, and if I was a wife, I'd be asking, well, why, why six verses to the ladies and only one verse to the guy in verse seven? Oh, we'll talk about that next week. Um, <laughs> this design by God is under fierce assault today. Fierce assault. Peter wants every woman to know that her godly design and role is precious in his sight. The culture in which we live sees great evil in this passage. Great evil. They see in this verse a continuation of male dominance and male oppression of women. This passage is viewed as a remnant of a a bygone patriarchal error that many believe must be eradicated. Any distinction between men and women and any gender distinction in our culture is now seen as evil. Gender neutrality is the new religion of our time. But there is no confusion in the Bible about men and women and their dignity and equal worth before God. Both are created in God's image. Both are heirs of the gospel's promises. Both are honored by God as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Brothers and sisters, both are children in the family of God, and both are to function in God's designed, good, created order patterned after the Trinity. The Trinity. This this is... Jesus submits his life to his heavenly father, not because he's inferior in any way, but because it is vital and necessary for God's good purposes to be worked out in that created, in that order. He delighted in doing his father's will. Now listen, Jesus is co-equal with God the father. He's co-eternal with God the father because he's fully God. And yet he lives even now in eternal submission to his father. This same structure, this exact picture is written into the fabric of every marriage. Husbands and wives, their spiritual natures are the same. Both are equal before God. Both have dignity and worth before God. But in order for the family to function as God intends for there to be the same harmony seen in the Trinity, the wife with no less dignity takes her place of submission to the leadership and headship of her husband in the same way Jesus with no loss of dignity submits to the headship of his heavenly Father brothers and sisters god's perfect design for the family it is beautiful it is harmonious and it is peace filled and it is god glorifying when both husband and wife joyfully submit to God's authority by accepting their roles. And when they do it, it is a beautiful, God-glorifying life. Father, thank you that truth reigns, that your word, your word is truth. And we can trust your truth and we can entrust our lives to this truth that it is your good created order. And Lord, this morning, we humbly submit ourselves to this truth for your glory in Christ's name.